Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bowe, and myself enjoy an interview with Dr. Gene Veith. Sit back and enjoy. Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. I am Pastor Brett Bow, and I have with me... Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brian Rickey, and, and Dr. Gene Veith. Welcome, yes. Dr. Veith, to our podcast. Thanks. Good to be with you. We're, we're, we're so glad that you've joined us. Uh, we've already told you this, but uh, <laughs> you are one of the heroes of this podcast. We're constantly talking about vocation. Yes. We're referring people. We've even had as a giveaway multiple times your book, God at Work, and we refer mm-hmm. to... Uh, family vocation, and, and we've started referring to you as the patron saint of vocation, so... Wow, Lutheran's <laughs> only had patron saint. Yeah, yeah right. no kidding. It's, yeah. It's, <laughs> well, maybe it's a good time to start. Maybe that's what we'll go with, but uh, we wanted to kind of start off this interview time we have with you uh, just by kind of introducing you to maybe some of our newer listeners, mm-hmm. kind of get a sense of, of letting you introduce yourself and, and talk about how it is that you came to be a Lutheran in the first place. Well, I uh, grew up in a, a mainline liberal Protestant church, and um, which made a point of saying you could believe whatever you want. Therefore, they didn't really teach anything. And when you got deeper into their work, it was all kind of minimizing the Bible and wanting to be as modern and as uh, culturally conforming to uh, secularism, really, uh, as they could. Uh, but I came across Christianity really reading uh, C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a big uh, Tolkien fan. Uh, this was back in high school for me. And uh, I, from Tolkien, uh, that led me into C.S. Lewis and his fantasies. And then I started reading his nonfiction. And I started seeing somebody that took Christianity seriously and that taught me that it has a content and taught that God became flesh in Jesus Christ. And and I was very excited about that, and, and I really see that as the beginning of my Christianity. Uh, but I really didn't have much help from the church. I remember telling a pastor, uh, I was so excited, I didn't realize that Jesus was, was God, that God became a human being, took on flesh just like just like us. And and he said, well, we don't really emphasize that much anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it was so deflating. Hmm. Um, but in the meantime, I went off to college and got involved with all kinds of other things in the, in the, in the sixties and the seventies. And, uh, but when I was in grad school, I started reading the Bible and the Bible just sort of blew me away. I, I was, just overwhelmed by reading the Bible. Now I have a understanding and a vocabulary to understand what was happening. Uh, I mean, it was the the, the scary parts uh, in the Old Testament, reading those God's wrath and God's mm-hmm. judgment and the laws against things that, you know, I, I certainly was guilty of, of doing. And then that just horrified me and then I started reading about 
redemption and atonement in the Old Testament. And then I came to the New Testament and reading about Christ and who he was and what he did. And so that was a huge step. I got involved in evangelical uh, movements on uh, on campus uh, there. It was at the University of Kansas, and uh, I met Christians from many different perspectives. Um, one of my good friends was a Calvinist, and he was influential, and there were charismatics and all kinds of things. Uh, I was an English uh, mm-hmm. major, and I uh, was working my PhD in English, and I started studying Christianity and literature, and I focused on uh, a writer named George Herbert, mm-hmm. uh, um, 17th century English writer, great writer of Christian yeah. verse. And uh, up to that time, Herbert was always considered, his poetry was interpreted in terms of kind of medieval Roman Catholic models. But I said that he wasn't a Catholic, he was a Protestant at the time the Church of England was really influenced by the Reformation. So my thesis, my research that I started doing was uh, involved showing how he was influenced by the Reformation. And that got me reading mm-hmm. Calvin, certainly, but but also uh, Luther. And, and uh, I started seeing in Herbert the idea of someone in his poetry, he isn't just striving to attain and ascend to God, which is sort of the way medieval Christianity was, and even a lot of Protestant uh, uh, Christian writing. But this was about God coming down to him. Mm-hmm. It was about grace and Christ and forgiveness. And anyway, I found it very compelling, and I wrote, about Herbert, and that was my kind of first academic uh, uh, publication and uh, my emphasis there. In the meantime, I um, I was a delegate to the Disciples of Christ um, National Convention that met, where they uh, revised the Constitution to eliminate any mention of God the Father, because that would be sexist hmm. and uh there were uh i i was um at, at that time in the disciples of christ uh is the time of the of the people's temple remember jim jones oh, yeah. and the boys yep. and kool-aid mass suicide i learned he was a pastor in the Disciples of Christ. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I remember some of our people going to a conference where he was, uh, Jim Jones was elevated as, you know, he's doing great, great work in the inner city of in California. And, and I realized that his, this is a cult of liberal theology, and it was based on, uh, liberation theology, the big strain at the time, and on uh, the psychological uh, small group kind of dynamics that they were doing at our church. So I, we resolved we're going to have to leave that church. And so I uh, got a job at a little college in Oklahoma, started going to churches, and one of them was a Lutheran church because hmm. I'd read about Luther and 
we were just blown away by it. Here was a church that still believed all that stuff. Mm. And in just the regular pattern of going to church, uh, attending the pastor's class, getting catechized, it just brought us deeper and deeper and deeper into it. And, mm. and we became Lutherans. And uh, again, I had been a part of many different kind of kinds of Christianity, really, and Lutheranism just made it all come together for me, mm-hmm. as well as offering a lot of things I didn't know, like vocation, mm-hmm. like the two kingdoms, like how to exist in in this world, as well as the next world. And so um, I just got brought further and further into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um, and, you know, as you got into being a Lutheran, uh, do you remember a point where you stumbled upon or discovered the doctrine of vocation? And do you remember that yeah. light bulb moment for you for yeah, that particular it, it doctrine? Yeah, was a light bulb moment. Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, George Streeter, uh, from uh, Indiana, he had he told me, uh, you've got to read this book. And and he was, in fact, he had a little publishing operation bringing back kind of some Lutheran classics into print that had fallen out of print. And one of them was Gustav Wingren's uh, Lutheran Vocation. Yeah. And he gave me a copy and said, you really should read this. And I went, okay, yeah, yeah. And I put it on, the, <laughs> on, the, on my desk and books kept piling on top of it. And uh, but I, I came to point, I was invited to speak to a group of Christian artists and, you know, working on, you know, what am I going to say to them? I've I done some writing on Christianity and the arts also. But here I was going to talk to these artists. What should I do? Maybe something about vocation. And this is a word that I heard and I thought I knew what it meant. You know, do do what you do to God's glory and so <laughs> on. But so I took down uh, Ingram's book and I was blown away by it. Mm-hmm. There's so much to it and they're so uh, liberating. I mean, vocation is the Doctrine of the Christian life, really, mm-hmm. and I was just—it was just one of these paradigm-shifting kind of seismic events. Uh, reading Vingren, uh, and then though, so I, I worked up a, a a talk applying this to to the artist vocation, mm-hmm. and I gave this talk at this at this group, and the reception of it was also a seismic uh, <laughs> moment because yeah. some of these artists were coming up, they were weeping. Hmm. They, they were crying. See, you mean I can serve Christ by by doing my art? That never occurred to them. They'd never heard this before. And, uh, uh, you know, I heard from... Uh, several of them were saying that I thought when I became a Christian, the first thing I did was give up my my art because mm. I figured that was worldly, and so I became a missionary and, and you know evangelist. And these, but I was terrible at them, and so <laughs> I really couldn't do anything else. I'm doing my art, but I'm trying to relate it to to uh, Christian art, but I'm not really good at that either. Uh, 
But then to learn that God calls and equips people for, for different things and, mm-hmm. and that you can love and serve your neighbor is a way to love and serve God in the callings, in the places, with the talents and opportunities that he gives you. That was just so liberating mm-hmm. to these folks. And so I, I resolved to that this needs to be better known. And so I uh, mm-hmm. started writing about it and published uh, God at Work and, mm-hmm. and quite quite a few other things about it and stated even, even further the family vocation, applying that to, to family issues and to mm-hmm. uh, 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 just one thing after another. Yeah, working for and your again, neighbor. Reception. Yep. Yes, working for your neighbor, uh, uh, applying that on a, on a bigger scale and looking at the social and economic uh, implications of it. And it was just so... Well, received and these were published not by Lutheran uh, publishers, hmm. but by uh, evangelical publishers by Crossway. Um, uh, working for a neighbor was a secular publisher, the Acton Institute, and, and to see how receptive people were and mm-hmm. how Christians who, who weren't blessed by being Lutheran. We're just so excited about this and, and so helped and blessed by it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another example, I think, of how Lutheranism has so much to offer. And, yeah. and, and, and insights that come out of the Lutheran tradition are so relevant to what people are are struggling with today. Uh, um, they're not just you know isolated religious teachings you know of one particular denomination they're, they're insights that make sense of christianity and even secular people who are struggling for to find meaning in their life and mm-hmm. solve problems in their family and want to know the value of what they're doing all vocation addresses that and can be a really powerful way of bringing them into to the the whole story uh, about Christ and the gospel and and everything that it implies which includes vocation mm-hmm. so uh yeah the the re, the recovery of this revolutionary teaching vocation is is just so um so powerful today mm-hmm. in, in particular yeah, I've I've kind of noticed, especially uh, <laughs> in light of this coronavirus pandemic we're going yes. through, there's been a, a a much greater emphasis. People are starting to see the dignity of work. There's been a lot of posts appreciating exactly. our truck drivers and our grocers. <laughs> exactly, and uh, it's been it's been wonderful to see. Uh, uh, what I want to know is with this renaissance of vocation that we've been having, what is it, do you think, that most people who are, are starting to learn about it, who are who think they know about it, what are, what are they getting wrong about it? Is there, yeah. is there ways that they're still missing either to the right or left on it? Yes, they really are. Uh, and a lot of Christian writers, too, are writing about this, and they're completely missing the point. <laughs> a lot of people insist on seeing vocation in terms of self-fulfillment. 
that, oh, this is what God has given me. This is my my gift. This is what I can do to serve God and fulfill myself and all the rest. Whereas vocation really is about love of neighbor. Your neighbor determines your vocation. Who your neighbor? That's your vocation. And the way you carry out love of neighbor is in self-sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus talks about, you know, if you'd follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, he says, and follow me. And when he says daily, I think it's not just the big crosses that we have to bear, such as coronavirus and other things, uh, trouble and sickness, but it's the daily uh, self-sacrifice. And what it means to love somebody is to deny yourself because you out of love for someone else. And that's the love that Christ showed us. That's the love he calls us to. And so um, there's one writer about vocation. Well, actually, he was criticizing Luther's concept of vocation because he said it 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 tends to want to keep people where they where they are. And he said that, uh, hmm. you know, when I was working my way through graduate school, I had to work at a canning factory. And I was working there, and it was so boring and such a waste of my ability. And then uh, he said, and there was a lady I worked with who'd been there for, for 10 years in this deadening, sold and... Uh, uh, soul-crushing kind of work. And he said, you know, that was not my vocation. That was something I was doing to get through school. But my true vocation is when I'm, you know, teaching at the seminary and, and, hmm. and all the rest. And he said, and Luther's view tends to, uh, you know, keep people in their places and discourage them from improving themselves. And that was so maddening because... That lady who was working 10 years to provide food for the rest of us, you know, God is using her to give give us our, her daily bread and to provide for in a, in a more fundamental way. And the very fact that it was so hard and the like, she was sacrificing herself to serve us. And God is working through her to care for all of us, and uh, you know, this theologian. His the, the funny thing about the coronavirus, you have the list of essential uh, <laughs> services, and those who are non-essential. Uh, just about everyone that is non-essential, except for the healthcare workers, and some important exception. Their vocation is certainly important. But uh, somebody said, "Boy, uh, all of the college, all the jobs that require college education are non-essential." <laughs> 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 are the working people, the truck drivers, yeah. the food production workers, the uh, people that clean rooms, and uh, and again, we have neglected them, but they are so and look down our nose at them, like this mm-hmm. seminary professor did, rather than really appreciating them as being you know prime examples of of a vocation and of how others serve us 
how God serves us through them and and how they all point to uh, how Christ uh, serves us through his sacrificial love. And, um, you know, that mentality, that can, it gives a different meaning to things that we're, mm-hmm. we might, even whatever our vocation is, we may find it frustrating at times and boring at times and and uh, not fulfilling. But when you understand mm-hmm. what vocation is, it just, just transfigures all of that because God is in it. Mm-hmm. God is in vocation, and he's working through it. Yeah. And, um, and, of course, another mistake is that People have a too limited understanding of vocation. They think of it just in terms of your job. I know that's the secular meaning of vocation, as in you know vocational training and uh, and the like. But for Luther, we have vocations, yes, in the workplace, but also in the family, which is primary. Uh, we, we have vocations or callings in the church. And the part we play, how God serves serves us through pastors and lay people and all the different things that happen in the congregation. Mm-hmm. And and we have a vocation of citizens. Yeah. And uh, where God has put us to love and serve our neighbors, our fellow citizens. And again, that's something else that coronavirus is putting into high relief because, uh, you know, we're all involved in this one. Usually, (laughs) you know, the news and, you know, we read about politicians and people far away doing things. Now this involves all of us and just the being good citizens and trying to protect our neighbors, love and serve our neighbors by not infecting them, uh, you know, becomes something that's that's on all of us. And Mm -hmm. and I think recovering vocation can, uh, or vocation as citizens can Mm -hmm. help uh, bring, bring that into our awareness too. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. Please tune in next time as we continue our discussion with Dr. Gene Veith. God bless you and have a great week.